Welcome to the Health Sprout Podcast, the journey to better health. My name is Dr. Eric Richards, a former financial advisor turned chiropractor, health advocate and advisor. Each week here on this podcast, you will hear mind-blowing interviews as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life to become a more informed advocate for your own health and wellness. Thanks for joining me today. Now, let's jump into today's topic. All right, so uh, today's episode, episode number one, Introduction. That sounds like a pretty exciting title, doesn't it, guys? Absolutely. <laughs> so here with me today, I have um, affectionately referred to uh, her as my sidekick, Emily, and uh, my intern, Evan. And both are actually chiropractic interns that work with me here at Health Sprout. Um, again, my name is Dr. Eric Richards, and I am your host. And the reality of today's episode one is that we're actually not going to be talking about intro. We're actually going to talk intro, but also a little bit about COVID-19 because it's so prevalent in our world. Oh, my gosh. Hey, real quick, though, guys, before, before I get into that, so, um, so a little bit more about you two. So you're, you're both interns. So, Emily, you're an intern uh, at Life University here, Marietta, Georgia. From Where are you from? I'm from Ontario, Canada. What in the world are you doing down here in the heat? I just had to get away from that snow. Ah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's a loaded question because I'm obviously from Buffalo area. I'm Lockport, New York. Um, lived here for 25 years for a reason, so I totally get it. Evan, how about you? You're, you're from a different place going to a different place. What's, what's your story, brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> originally from West Virginia, a place called Hurricane. Everybody Hurricane. Calls it Hurricane. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and your plan is not to go back to West Virginia, as far as I know, is that correct? Not originally. So, I'm going to go to Charleston, South Carolina for at least a few years, and then possibly settle down in West Virginia after that, because that's where my fiance is from as well. Yeah, good stuff. Good deal. Charleston's a fabulous place. So, um, glad to have you guys here. I think it's going to be great to have kind of these different mixed, uh, you know, ideas. Well, hopefully mixed ideas. Maybe not mixed ideas. Mixed perspectives, perhaps, on the things that we talk about today. Um, one of the things I really want to focus on as well is, um, you know, kind of what we do. So. As, uh, as chiropractors, a lot of people think that we take care of bad backs. Um, you know, I'm going to throw that out to one of you guys. Like, give, me, give me like 30 seconds of what, what, what do we do? Yeah, so the number one thing that we focus on is the nervous system because it's going to control every single thing in the body, every cell, muscle, tissue. Uh, keeps you moving. And it also controls every single organ within the body as well. So we're going to check the spine because that's essentially what houses the nervous system. And what that does, so we're going to check for any type of misalignment within the spine because what that does is it can put some pressure on those nerves via inflammation. Um, and then so, again, that nerve exits and that can go to any type of muscle, cell, tissue, or organ as well. So the biggest thing is correcting that misalignment. Uh, again, you know, the big term is called subluxation. So, we'll, you know, that'll be on the quiz later. And uh, so that's essentially <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little 30-second intro. Yeah, it's good. I like that. So, yeah, and that's, that's pretty important. I think, um, you know, our office, we've seen thousands and thousands of patients over the years, uh, 20, 20-ish years that we've been practicing here. Um, and our focus has always been on wellness. And so with that, um, it's not, you know, we're, I consider us to be kind of chiropractic immunology as well. So I've been in the middle of this whole COVID thing from day one. Um, so many of our patients have been here with themselves, their families, their, their immunocompromised loved ones, their cancer patients, you know, hundreds and hundreds of those we've taken care of over the years. Um, really for the primary focus for many of them, which would be to improve immune function. Now, our focus is never that. Our focus is always to enhance the control that the brain exhibits over the body, right? So it's to enhance nervous system function. And in doing that, you therefore allow for increased immunology and increased everything, 
Um, but you know, everyone kind of comes in with a goal, right? Like either it's a symptom of I've got pain, I want pain gone, yeah. and we're like, yeah, we don't care about your pain, <laughs> we just care about your nervous system function. Or they come in with, hey, I heard that like Susie's kids never got sick since they've been coming to see you, so I want to be here for the same reason with my kids. That's still kind of like a symptom, the symptom of a lack of immune system, where I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, what we're going to do is we're going to basically try to make sure that your brain is functioning, you know, at 100 percent. And then your spine is functioning at 100% as well. So, so in that, that kind of is my segue because the brain functioning at 100% really doesn't have much to do with chiropractic, right? Like the brain itself has a lot to do with the world you live in, which is part of why I thought, man, what a great segue into this COVID thing right now because we can talk immunology, but we can surely talk about the stress of life and what stress is doing to people. So, you know, with that, I think I want to jump in and just talk a little bit about that stress. So, so you guys, what do you guys think? Just personally, stress, like, has stress been higher, not too bad, COVID? Like, what, what, what is your personal experience? I think just seeing how my family's responded and they're so focused on the news, that has been an extreme stressor, just constantly the varied information that's coming out. No one really knows yeah. what is going on, what is what, and it's just not a positive place to look for information. Yeah, that's a great a great point that most people kind of get caught up in the news, which I'm shocked at because, you know, we live our own little bubble life of we tell what we tell and we preach what we preach, and so the, I am my own news. It's kind of, I was joking with somebody the other day, I'm like, I'm kind of my own news. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really pay, I, I listen to some news, not in the form of actually mainstream media, but other podcast type news. But even that, I don't do much of that. I'm just a data guy. Like I get my news because I hunt the data from Georgia's you know, public health website, Worldometers. Um, I'm in other states' public health sites every day looking at the data as it relates to this. And that's a different world because you know when you're looking at the raw data, no one gets to spin it. Like there's the raw data doesn't say, oh my gosh, an incredible rise in cases from yesterday today. And you, know, you can say, oh, it's a 280% rise. And that sounds really horrible, right? But you're like, oh, you went from two to five? Oh, wow. Hey. Right? Like, it's just, it's just however you read the news. So, Evan, how about you? What's your, what's your experience been on the whole stress thing with this COVID-19? Yeah, I, th I think, honestly, with every new patient that we've seen, too, I see. So, obviously, in, in this office, we always do a nervous system scan to detect, you know, how well the nervous system is functioning under stress. And it, it seems like we've had the same pattern on everybody, which is around like the uh, lower thoracic region. Uh, so that area controls the adrenals. And then so that's, you know, any type of stress response is going to be played out in that area as well. So we yeah. see a kind of a major spike in that area as well as kind of that upper thoracic region. Mm -hmm. uh, so people, you know, are kind of tense in their shoulders, their breathing is off. Uh, and then, you know, obviously that's going to throw off the sleep. So basically what Evan just said was we are seeing the clinical signs of manifestation of stress in the nervous system where the stress starts in the brain, it then uh, has a response that affects the body. So in this example here, causes an adrenal response, cortisol release, right? And then in that adrenal response or perhaps hyperadrenal response, now we've got stress back on the area of the spine, you know, where that nerve uh, is, is, you know, prosecuted back to the spinal cord and the brain. And so then you've got the reason for the stress, you know, makes sense from what you're experiencing in your brain, but now it's actually hampering the function in that area, leading to potentially long-term dysfunction and even worse things. So that's a fabulous, I'm glad you tied it to chiropractic. And so I think from a standpoint of like, what can you do? Well, step one is figure out what do you need to do to become less 
less stressed. So one of our staff members this morning was in and she was talking to me about, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like I had all sorts of things that she was oh my goshing about. And I was like, who cares, who cares, who cares? And, and my point was like, look, like the media is going to do what the media is going to do and some people are going to do what some people are going to do. You're not, like your position is to stand in light and truth and, and fight back on that. And that's really the key. So with that, like, you know, I, it's a perfect way for me to segue into understanding how philosophy is an important part of health. So for you guys who are listening, one thing you're going to get from me on a regular basis is helping you understand what is your true health philosophy. Because most people, until they're actually pressed with either a, a, a very scary cliff edge sit, uh, situation, right, where you're, like, you're staring down the edge of a cliff and like life's going to fall apart, um, for health, I'm talking for health, um, you probably haven't thought too much about what your philosophical bend is towards health. And you might not even know what in the world that would mean while I'm talking about it. So we're going to go ahead and kind of clear that up. But before I clear that up, I'm going to go to you guys again. And I'm going to ask you, before you came into chiropractic school, had you, had you thought a lot about your philosophical uh, focus on health? And if you did, like why? What, what made you do that? Or if you didn't, well then, you know, we understand why not. Evan, first. why don't you go first, Evan? Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, so I was pretty big into the pretty big into the gym, uh, def- definitely the bodybuilding scene, because I was lucky enough to meet uh, some of my best friend's dad, Tim Meeks. He was he was Mr. West Virginia, kind of in the late '70s, early '80s, and also brought me to a chiropractor as well. Um, so okay. my, but as far as the whole eating healthy, that was you know I was just trying to essentially just put in calories. To get bigger so my focus was you know essentially just just trying to build muscle where i didn't really think about health in the same way that i think about it now uh, it was more about like more of an appearance rather than something that happens from yeah. within which is what most people think right so philosophically you're stuck with what i would say is a marketed approach to exactly. health you know it's what you know if i put it in a magazine enough times put it on tv enough times I can, I can get someone to want it and demand it because they want to be like it, right? So it's like I'm stretching for that because it looks good type thing. So, yeah. How about you, Emily? What do you got? What's the story? I think throughout my time before chiropractic school, especially in undergrad, there was a lot of, like, research and searching that I was doing on health, and I wasn't really sure. Throughout chiropractic school, I've learned a lot more and kind of created a more concrete philosophy yep. for what health means to me. But it took a long time to get to that point through research, talking, listening to different people who I respected, um, and just gaining that information and perspective from other people. Yeah, good stuff. So I'm going to just kind of pause for a second on going forward with that. I'm going to talk a little bit about my own, um, like, you know, what my effort was to to figure out what my philosophical belief, uh, belief relative to health was. So in school, it was challenged for the first time in chiropractic school, and I'm hearing some like anti-vaccine discussion, and it's not really being taught, but it's in the it's in the it's in the classroom. Like there's a rumble of activity when a teacher says something. I'm like, huh? I'm hearing some people talk about some things I've never heard before, and you know that that was like that first step of wait. I mean, I don't just trust like everything the way it is. And then, you know, we had a teacher who I think you guys had Goldberg as well, who, you know, but he's teaching nutrition and he's telling you that, you know, milk is bad for you. And you're like, wait, milk? No, man, strong bones. Haven't you seen the people in the commercials? What are you talking about, right? And so now I completely agree that, you know, relying on dairy as a major part of your caloric intake is not wise. Um, I think there's room for some of it, but I think it just, it, it comes down to a whole nother level. So anyways, my point is that you kind of go through that where you start questioning for the first time. Now, my father is a retired pharmacist. 
and he actually, through some of the things that, that he had kind of shared um, early on, helped me to start this path of wondering about medication being a wise thing, right? But it's a funny, like, if you ask the question, no one thinks it's a, really a wise thing. You just ask the right questions, right? If the question is, oh my gosh, like, I have a horrible, horrible headache, what do I do? Well, then I think the answer might be, oh, you should maybe take some ibuprofen, some Advil, or some stuff, right? But if you ask the question differently, oh my gosh, I'm really thinking about planning out the next three years of my life to try to end up in a place where I'm on the most possible prescription medications that I could possibly get on. Is that wise? There's not a person out there who says, oh yeah, just, that's a good plan. I'm glad that you're thinking about yourself early, right? Like no, no one's like, oh good, yay, way to go. It doesn't happen that way. So what you get then is you, you think, okay, if I ask the question, the same question differently, I get a different answer. So then maybe I'm asking like the wrong questions. Maybe the question isn't, how do I get rid of my headache? Maybe the question starts to become, how do I avoid getting a headache, exactly. right? Not get rid of, but how do I avoid getting? And that's something that I think the average person doesn't spend enough time asking. I've got a symptom, how do I get rid of it for good? For what is causing it. Yeah, because that's where it comes back to is the cause. So, so philosophically, so I'm a, I'm a creationist, so I, I believe in God, you know, and I'm a, I'm a Christian, that's my belief. Um, so, so I tend to use this lens that says, you know, does it make sense from the idea that I was placed into this world on purpose and the world was placed as the world for me on purpose? Um, and so I think, though, what I've said to many people over the years is when it, we can get aligned on health, even if you think that I'm ridiculous for my belief in creation, you could think that, no, 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 this was an amoebic blob at some point in time that developed over a bazillion years, then, okay, if it took, you know, if you believe that, evolution happened, then you would say that there are no jumps that can't be explained, right? That from the amoeba to me, everyone could be explained somehow at some point in time, maybe not today, but eventually. In which case, you would then say, well, but it took so long, that's why it's such a dramatic change from the amoeba to me, it took, took forever. In which case, we would say then, how, how quick was adaptation at any point in time? Well, it wasn't very quick, right? It took a long time for any adaptation to occur then we could very quickly say then anything that's happened in the last hundred years that's completely different than the prior millions, well, how, how is my ability to process and adapt to that? Uh, not well and insignificant. Yeah, I can't because it took a million just to get used to being this human body in this environment with the world the way it is, right? Nature the way it is. And so if nature suddenly turned into technology and that's what I'm processing through my, my mouth to my stomach, I'm probably not really adapted to handle it. Which I hope that this discussion is a, a, a light for some people listening to this. And I'm sure for many it's like, well, duh, of course, I figured that out forever ago. But the point is from there, you now have a philosophy of health. Your philosophy is that you are somehow um, you know, married to nature. And there's a reason why nature serves you well and why you serve nature well. And then anything outside of that, you probably aren't really you know, fully equipped to handle. So that's, that's, I think, a great place to start. So for me, I tend to process everything through the lens of God. Does it make sense? Was it from God? Does it make sense? Does it work? You know, so people say, like, go back a few years, and, you know, my practice was so busy that people would just look at me as a, as a, as a potential cash cow for their businesses. So everyone would show up. Everyone in the world has got something to sell. They'd show up and say, hey, you should sell this here. You could just make a killing. I'm like, yeah, I don't care about making a killing. I'm doing that just fine. What I care about is actually helping people. So do you have anything that can really help people? Oh man, you should try goji berries. So literally it was like the goji berry drink that came out years ago, right? Or acai berries, right? You need those. 
And then every time you're like, okay, where, where do these goji berries grow? Oh, it's awesome. No one can get them. They're like in the you know the mountains, the foothills of the Himalayas. I'm like, oh, the foothills of the Himalayas. But they're really necessary for health, you say? Absolutely. Like you lost me because it doesn't fit my lens. My lens would say that my body has adapted to the nature that I'm in, not the nature that you're in at the foothills of the Himalayas. It just doesn't make sense. Why would I need that? It doesn't make sense at all. Why would I need that? Could it be a benefit at times? Maybe, but did I first sacrifice my health so much that now I need this as a path back? That's different than health maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. Thoughts on that? What do you guys think? Is that stupid? That, yeah, it, it seems like there isn't always a new, it's like a new berry or a new supplement. Absolutely. Something like that, you know, every, every few years. And there's always a little, you know, a little bit of re research as far as, you know, superlative data that goes back to that. But yeah, like you said, I mean, if it's, I, I, I think, you know, the ability to adapt is 100% one of the most important things to, to re retain your health and also, you know, make you resilient to future events as well, too. Yep, absolutely. How about you? Have you been have you ever been exposed, Emily, to any of these like crazy new things that are going to change your life? You know? Oh, I think social media is a great example of all of the fad, exciting things that are on the internet, yep. and it just floods people who are desperate and searching mm. with information that's just not even correct at yep. its foundation. And these people don't know where to turn, and that becomes difficult. And like Evan said. We need to adapt, and mm -hmm. if we're not adapting, then, I mean, I've heard people say we're dying if we're not adapting, essentially, yeah. because we need to constantly be growing. So, all right, so this is, so, so let's go ahead, let's move to the next step, because I want to get into this COVID thing, um, <laughs> so we have a little bit of time to talk about it before we're done. <laughs> so, so, but real quick, before I, I step even over that, I think it's, it's wise to identify for people, you know, you, most people think that they're healthy because they're symptom-free, right? Like that's the average, and this is, I talk about this all the time, is that, you know, that's such a, it's such a fallacy. I've had so many cancer patients in my care over the years, and I'd say that the average cancer patient did not have symptoms. Most of them found their cancer from routine screening, most. So they weren't looking for anything, they weren't trying to solve, you know, what's the cause to this? It was simply, I'm just going to get my screening. And then I'd say, wait, what, 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 what did you say? You want me to visit a who? An, an oncologist? That's exactly how it goes down, right? So, so what I like to kind of point out to people is that, you know, every day that you take a step forward that you think you're healthy because you're symptom-free and you don't make a decision for health, you've just actually walked one step closer to the two-thirds of Americans dying from heart disease and cancer. And that's it. So, I mean, I'm not saying you're not going to die from those, but wouldn't you like to at least give yourself the best chance not to or at least live a good, strong, healthy life for a duration that your body is designed to live? It just kind of makes sense, right? And so that's what, bringing this into COVID makes so much sense because you know what? For, for many people, for the first time ever, they walked into the cliff edge. You know, I've seen the cliff edge for so many people so many times where people come in and I literally had a you know, patient who came in and I forced her to go see an oncologist and forced her to get tested because I'm like, I need to know. Whether you want to use medical or you just want to use alternative, it's up to you, but I need to know and I don't have the ability to test you. And she brought her packet of information in for me and said, here, can you open it up and read it to me? I'm like, okay, yep, and she had malignant cancer that I got to tell her about because she did not want to see over the cliff, didn't want to see it. She was being blind to it. But I'm like, look, you've been doing things in your life that did not bring you to a place where you could just have all sorts of confidence in your health. And for many people, COVID-19 shows up and they suddenly are there like, oh my gosh, this is serious. 
To which, you know, people ask me in February, is this serious? I said, you know, it's hard to say right now. I would say, let's just be kind of thoughtful and wise. I'm not going to say too much. I'm not going to think too much. Let's just see what happens. And that was my initial response. And then by the time we got the Diamond Princess, you know, kind of all vetted out, now I knew where I stood because the Diamond Princess was a perfect example of a closed environment. And we got to see what are the numbers. And the numbers said to me, oh, this is not anywhere near as bad as what we originally thought. And for some reason, the epidemiologists went nuts, even though we had, like, early on, we have, you know, Stanford epidemiologists talking about the numbers. And a Stanford stati statistics professor working along with the epidemiologist saying, hey, looking at these stats and looking at the numbers, it appears that this is not really that bad of a deal. Granted, if people die, I'm, I'm not saying that we don't care about people dying, right? I mean, obviously, we've devoted, I've devoted my life to helping people to not die to be healthy, to be strong. I care about it. But at the end of the day, there's also something else I've learned. There's no magic pill to just recover what we've done our whole lives. You can't do it. It doesn't happen in a day. And so I think that's what suddenly people are realizing is that there is no magic pill. Oh, but maybe there is, right? So then fear, like, oh, maybe the vaccine is the magic pill. And they just hope that the vaccine is going to work and save them. Or, you know, maybe if we just shut ourselves in our houses long enough, it'll just disappear. I mean, I don't know. I think that's what, what Emily, what, what, your family, what, what are they thinking? Are they, are they kind of concerned then? Um, there's a mixed kind of bag of opinions. My immediate family being my parents, their routine hasn't changed. They were considered essential, so they continue to go to work. Luckily, both my parents are healthy, so I believe if they were to come into contact with it, if they haven't already, they'll be okay. But people that just don't if they haven't already so basically because i mean because the reality is if they're healthy they very likely could have had this and dealt with it and been symptom free or even like they had a sniffle for a day but you know who knows right absolutely so, and keep going <laughs> uh i had a visit from my nana and granddad back in march and they were so sick when they came but this was before covid really blew up yeah. and it was just well, we went to the doctor, they did chest x-rays, we don't have pneumonia, and it was just kind of unknown. At this point, could it have been COVID? Absolutely. People's symptomatology, though, is so vast and varied, it's hard to say, because you can't say, oh, you had red spots, so you have chicken pox. It's not the same way with COVID. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I think that's wise, right? Like, it's, it's good to understand that, hey, the symptoms are crazy all over the board. You might have had it, might not have had it. So for you who are, you know, if you, if you get some symptoms, I would say it's wise right now just to be wise about who you're around. I don't think COVID can kill very many people. I mean, granted, it's, it's, a, it's you know, 180,000 Americans. Is a, sounds like a large, large number. I don't see that as a large number relative to the total deaths. But at the same time, if, if you think, well, that's additive, well, then it's a big deal. I would argue that some of it's additive and then there's a whole bunch of it that's not. That that, that same person got a, a strain of the flu, they probably would have had a very similar outcome. You know, it's just one of those things. Um, but I think the biggest argument I have is that you just can't control a virus, which we've seen. So Evan, your family, how, how's everyone feel about this COVID thing in your world? Yeah, we, we've had conversations uh, about it, but so I think a lot of times, you know, yeah, I've talked to my parents about it, that a lot of times you'll see on the news the strength of the virus. And, you know, you always, it, it's always, you know, essentially the virus is on the offense, you know, and you should <laughs> remain on the defensive side. Yep. And so, you know, I think it's important to kind of reverse that and, you know, put yourself on the offense. You know, if you've had since, basically, essentially since March uh, to 
you could, I mean, you could really turn your life around from March to September yeah. as far as making huge changes in your life that would make you just essentially harder to kill. That's right. And, and so, I, you know, we've had that conversation, and I think they've made a lot of positive changes. My dad got the new uh, Fitbit Charge 4, so he's getting 10,000 steps. And my, my, my mom kind of inherited mine as well. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, then, you know, and then I saw a study by Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Uh, who I followed, she talks about the vitamin D levels. Uh, you know, that was a big thing for yep. the, for the uh, mortality rates. And so I always, you know, we talked about, you know, they're always getting out at least an hour of uh, sunlight. Sunlight, yep. And uh, so, yeah, we definitely had that conversation. Awesome. And that's one of the stupidest things, guys, just if you're listening, that's one of the stupidest things was to take and close down parks and close down trails oh, yeah. and to close down beaches because it, it, what happens is that you get people who are just, they're kind of getting this, this, this idea that, you know, the... The CDC is telling me I should. The World Health Organization is saying I should, and they're saying these things about kind of distancing. And so then you, know, you get you get a municipality who thinks, oh my gosh, people get together at parks, we better close the parks down. Well, it's like wait, wait, wait. What they what I know the the World Health Organization knows, and what the CDC knows as well, is that vitamin D is really valuable to you know your immune system, right? It's a modulator of your immune system. They know that. We know that. It's important to get it every day, and the more you get right now, the better off you would be. Yet at the same time, they didn't they didn't say that they didn't tell that story because it's a it's a stronger story, more fun of a story, just to say it's dangerous, stay home. And I really mean that, guys. I'm sorry. I, you know, it's not like they had the, the you know the, the the people in charge. You know, you look at the CDC director uh, Robert Redfield. He's not he doesn't want the world to stop moving. I'm not saying that, but at the same time, they they try to. They try to pick the words that they think will have the greatest impact because they, they know they only have so many words that will get out to the world. And so you pick the impactful words and then a lot of times you lose a lot of the important pieces because all you have is this, you know, a black and white sentence that's screaming in your face that you're going to die from this, right? And it's not, that's not really what they're even saying. So um, now just kind of back over to this idea though of getting out, um, you know, I think it's some, something that people fail to understand is the value of an immune system on a daily basis. Meaning your immune system is something that you know you build every single day, you challenge every single day, you come into contact with tons of viruses every single day in typical normal daily life. And then you completely shut down and you, you spray everything dead. What you don't realize is that you're already reducing the functional capacity of your immune system. You know, it's like the whole, you know, use it or lose it. And you're losing it when you're not using it. And so I think some of the best evidence, and you guys have seen some of this stuff because you've been around me, of course, and I've been digging in, but you're digging in too. So, but I look at all of the T-cell, you know, reports now that are coming out. And I love this. I love, you know, the first one, BBC reports on this where these researchers went out and they grabbed some uh, blood bank blood. And they said, oh, we got some blood from well before COVID-19 times and we're going to test it. And they tested it and they found that there were T-cell immunity specific to COVID-19 present in like 40% of the blood. It's like, oh my gosh, these people are completely immune. Well, that would explain why people you know, can get it, test positive and never have a symptom. That alone could do it, right? So now it's like, okay, well, what, what creates T-cell specific immunity to COVID-19? And then you got you know, a couple other studies come out. And you know, I, I think what, the thing I saw that I liked the most was this idea that if you've been infected by the four primary coronaviruses that are traveling the earth causing the common cold, so there's a bunch of coronaviruses running around, right? And there's some rhinoviruses. There's a lot of stuff that's shooting around. You got like 200 different viruses that make up common cold viruses that are pretty active in a typical given year. So um, you get coronavirus, and basically this, this, these researchers said if the four most you know, uh, uh, common 
coronaviruses had infected you in the last you know handful of years, three to five years. So, uh, and the reason for recent the reason for recent years is that you know you do get antibodies, and these neutralizing antibodies will slowly dissuade over time. They kind of disappear, and you you lose them, which is why, like in certain vaccines, you you get a vaccine and you booster and you booster. Same thing with this whole thing. You know, does coronavirus does immunity last forever? You know, we don't know that. But the idea that it doesn't last like a month is crazy. That's the stupidest thing ever. And then I saw just the, there was an article the other day of like the first case, the first positive case of reinfection of COVID. And it was like out of Taiwan. And I'm like, okay, so does anyone have any idea what an anecdotal outlier is? It's just that. It's an outlier. It's like, okay, you got one person. Ooh. We don't, I don't care. That, that stat means nothing, literally nothing as a stat, right? As an anecdotal case, it means something, and I care about that person, and I hope he gets well, but at the same time, you, I can't stop everyone from dying, obviously. I'm still driving in my car. And by the way, uh, anyone who's a parent um, and you're wondering about your kids being in school right now, your kids have literally about a thousand times greater chance of dying from a car accident on the way to school than from COVID-19. That's for kids. That's how low that chance is. I just prosecuted that completely in my Facebook post from a few days ago. And it took me three hours of data to get to that point, but I did it. So anyways, um, the, uh, the, the, the point that I was coming back with is that if you've had any of these four, or no, all of these four coronaviruses as cold in the last three to five years, you are very likely 100% immune to COVID-19. So kids would very likely heavily fall in that category. So I think part of the reason why kids just are asymptomatic and don't have any you know, state of, of symptom is because they've got T-cell immunity. So, I mean, okay, yay, put kids in school. I think yeah. you touched on a really great point when you talked about disinfecting all of the surfaces and how that's getting rid of all of the bacteria, all of the germs in our life. But what people don't know, because it's not something that when you go for your yearly physical, your doctor's gonna be like, hey, by the way, I just wanna let you know that you have bacteria, and in the science world we call them opportunistic bacteria, that live in your body naturally, and your body needs those. They're vital parts to your body. So you're walking around right now with so many different bacteria, and some of them, like strep would be a great example of yeah. an opportunistic bacteria. Absolutely. You Ever present. Ever present, yeah, it's always there, and the reason that you might come down with strep throat, for instance, isn't necessarily because you suddenly contracted strep. It goes back to our conversation with the immune system and were you getting enough sleep? Were you exercising? Were you eating well? How stressed were you in that time period? Was your atlas aligned? Absolutely, were you getting adjusted? <laughs> um, and that really plays a role into it and that's an important thing that most people don't know yeah. is by getting rid of all of this bacteria in our world, we are essentially just making ourselves sick because our body needs this to function. In addition to, COVID-19 is a virus. So any of your antibacterial um, products is not going to kill a virus because it only kills bacteria. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such a great, I'm glad you paused and kind of gave a little more detail on that. It's a great thing to just help people understand that when you are, you know, getting sick with a positive strep test, um, as an opportunistic bacteria, it, it took you becoming a ready host because it's students. We, we cultured our throats and then we basically grew cultures and we stained for strep and for staph. And basically we were 36 for 36 of an, enough of a, a colony to be a positive staph and positive strep test. 
all 36 of us non-symptomatic. And it was such a great bit of evidence for all of us that, you know, it's not, you're not really worried about the strep. That's not what you should be. You should be worried about you becoming a, a host. You know, think about you becoming that opportunity for that strep. Don't think about the strep. It's always there. Think about you. So now in my practice, I've probably taken, you know, I would say 5,000 people at least, maybe more, maybe, maybe 10,000. I don't even know. You know, after, you know, 550,000 adjustments in the last 20 years, uh, I can't tell you how many times I had someone come in with, I got a positive strep test. What do I do? I'm like, okay, this is what you do. Um, how long have you been feeling ill? Uh, about five days. Okay. So let's take it out at least to two weeks. So this is my protocol, and I give people the vitamin D protocol. I want 30,000 units of vitamin D minimum a day. I want 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C minimum a day, and I want 200 billion probiotics. I want them in a, a capsule that's opened into water multiple times a day, gargled in your throat, and retained there as long as you can because the waste of those probiotics, the poop and the pee of those probiotics is death to staph and strep. What do you know? So as you get those just coated around your mouth, I mean, they're not supposed to be there. They colonize down in your colon, but they can, they can hang out. They always go through. So as they hang out there and they poop and they pee, they're going to be killing off that strep. And like I said, 5,000, I don't know how many thousands of people never needing an antibiotic to get over it, just fighting through it just fine. Mm -hmm. And then maybe like three of those people, I couldn't win that. I had to go get an antibiotic. Okay. Hey. I'm glad you, you tried it and now you know better and now perhaps we know what you need on a more regular basis so that the next time you're more prepared. Makes sense. And in, yeah. in those times when people do need the antibiotic because they do come up, we can just support them with probiotics outside of times when they're taking the antibiotic because as great as the antibiotic is for getting rid of what's going on in your body, it also gets rid of everything yes. that keeps you healthy like we talked about. So that's where that probiotic comes in to help so, support you. So sometimes a little extra thought can create wisdom. Um, so I don't know how many years ago this was. I was on an adventure race. So you know my background, owned CrossFit gyms and loved CrossFit for 15 years. And, Adventure raced as well, 30-hour races in the woods with a pack full of stuff and a map, a compass, canoe, bike, and just go forever. Um, and so there was one when I got bit by a spider while I was out racing, and it was, uh, I didn't know what actually happened. I thought some, like, you know, I thought like a twig somehow, like, spun up and stabbed me in the back of the leg because I was running through a field when it happened. It was weird. But I must have run through a spider web. Something got on me, jostled, bit, um, because it wasn't until, like, two days later that the, the wound started to blacken and gape a little bit, you know, and I was like, hmm, that doesn't look good. My wife's like, that doesn't look good. I'm like, yeah, we'll see what happens, you know. So I let it go, and I'm just going extra heavy on, the, on all the supplements, trying to just make sure everything's good. When it got to the red spot, turned into more like red streaks shooting up my leg, I'm like, okay, this isn't really how things are supposed to go down. This looks like I have a staph infection starting from this thing, and, you know, who knows where, you know, cellulitis is going to set in. Yeah, I'm going to have to go get, you know, an antibiotic, and so I went to the ER uh, because I did not want to take an oral and put an antibiotic through my gut where all of my beautiful healthy flora is. I want to get a shot and actually bypass the flora and go straight to the bloodstream. And I know some things I would say don't ever put in your bloodstream and some things I would say well, don't ever put in your gut. <laughs> and the antibiotic just happens to be the thing. I don't want it in my gut. I don't want it affecting that flora. Now granted, will it process through? 
Yes, it will, but at a much less level than it's you know being digested you know through the intestine, and you know I've got this this deleterious effect of what's coming straight through. So, and, and of course they give you the antibiotic oral prescription to go with the shot. Um, I didn't take that. Uh, the shot was enough. One shot in the butt. Day later, cleared up. I'm like sweet. Okay, good. So that was the time I needed it, and it worked great and preserved a decent amount of my flora. But I still was into the 200 to 400 billion you know a day after that. Probably more than that, actually. You know, Jordan Rubin, Jordan, hey, hope you're out there doing great, buddy. It's been a long time since we spoke. Um, you guys might know I'm uh, the author of The Maker's Diet, started the company Garden of Life, uh, and sold that off, started Beyond Organic, and he had some fabulous products with Beyond Organic that were just food that was loaded with probiotics. I have to drink all, I spent thousands of dollars on his stuff every month. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so, all right, Evan, your thoughts on that? Like, as we get into kind of like habits around COVID, what are some other habit? Can, can you imagine some, or, or help us with some other habit that you see people have now that's unhealthy because COVID exists? Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, definitely the, uh, I definitely see a little bit more stress eating as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've definitely partaken that a little bit myself <laughs> as well. Because, um, you know, you didn't really know what to expect around March. And then, you know, once that kind of fear subsided, then you calm down and get your senses about you. But, um, Yes, yeah, so something that you know I try to do, especially you just I think the biggest thing that I've seen with the research is again the vitamin D as well. So I, the biggest thing I've been trying to do is, is stay outside as much as possible. You know, it's nice because we have the, the nice long lunch breaks here as well. So always, yeah. during that time, I always trying to get outside as much as possible, um, and then, you know try to stay away from the industrial seed oils like canola oil, uh, grapeseed oil, things like that, and also just try to limit the sugar. So I think that that those those if you do that, then that's. Yeah, pretty, pretty good start. That's a great start. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the specifics that I've seen with COVID-19 because I've been digging in so much from day one. Um, as we look closer at the comorbidities, I think that's an important thing to kind of address. You know, comorbidities that are significant, um, obviously people who have significant respiratory issues, they've had some hard times, but asthma is not one of them. You know, it's, it's, asthma has not really shown up as being a, a, a you know, progenitor of COVID-19. So um, if you've got asthma, you're, you're not really looking at a comorbidity that matters as much as those people who have inflammatory conditions. So as we look at heart disease, it's mostly peripheral vascular disease, hypertension. That's a big one. So I'm, and I was literally just looking at the CDC's um, uh, data on this just the other day. And you know they show the uh, comorbidities as a total number, raw data number of people who had the comorbidities who've died from COVID. And um, when you take out respiratory distress, and the reason why we take that out, because respiratory distress itself can be caused from COVID-19 and pneumonia can be caused from COVID-19. So I'm like, well, you can't really tell who came in with that and who just processed through and got that. Um, where heart disease as a peripheral vascular disease or hypertension, and then of course the other one was diabetes. So those two uh, diseases, which we would call inflammatory diseases, right? They're both inflammatory, where the heart disease, it's inflammation of the vascular wall, so the arterial, uh, artery wall becomes inflamed, and that was what creates a limit to the amount of, uh, of blood flow you can have. So that's increasing peripheral resistance, which then of course increases the, uh, the strength that the heart has to beat. Um, and people think, oh, hypertension, I got like a hard heartbeat. Whoa, why does that, you know, have an issue with COVID-19? Well, because that is actually caused by an inflammatory molecule and an inflammatory molecule makes you that much more likely to cross over the cliff edge of the cascade of the cytokine storm or that, you know, increased amount of, you know, histamine mast cells release. And now you've got, you know, fluid and mucus that are building up like crazy. And that's the issue. 
it's hard to get oxygen movement when you've got a ton of fluid in the way. So, and then of course diabetes, and diabetes is heavily an inflammatory condition that relates more to diet than anything. I'm talking about type 2 diabetes primarily here, not type 1, where we have you know, potentially an autoimmune condition, because the autoimmune conditions have been kind of insignificant. Like We thought they'd be huge with COVID, but they're really pretty low on that totem pole as you look at those deaths. It's more of the actual inflammatory state where we create an immune response. So it's not autoimmune as much as it's hyperimmune. And so diabetes uh, tends to do that because it's a dietary failure that is what is causing an insulin issue and insulin resistance. And all of that comes back to the most you know, highly inflammatory molecule that people love to love, <laughs> which is sugar. So Evan, you touched on that. And I think that's huge uh, because in this time, you know, how many people have I seen posting on their social media, you know, hanging out at home, you know, drinking like crazy and eating you know, sugar like crazy? both highly inflammatory. So you definitely put yourself at greater risk living that lifestyle right now where, you know, if you're, like you said earlier, Evan, man, we've had six months to actually completely change your life. Most people haven't, right? Most people just kind of sheltered and shut up and just got worse where some people, and I've seen those people said, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get serious. And I'm, I'm so happy to see that because those people, their fear level has gone down and down and down and down and down and very wisely, rightly so. It's righteous, you know, confidence is what that is. So, all right, cool. Then the other thing I want to touch on, we're just going to close this up with COVID-19 is uh, symptomatic versus asymptomatic spread because I found that to be one of the most important, you know, discussions. Anecdotally, asymptomatic spread is the most significant thing ever happened in the world. Anecdotally. You'll see so many, you know, like, oh, we believe that and we think and models suggest and all of, you know, all of this discussion that, you know, everyone who looks totally perfectly healthy is going to kill you. So shove a mask on them and definitely make them walk the right direction down the grocery store aisle because they are a huge health risk to everybody in the room, even though they feel totally fine and look amazing. And so I'm going to tell you that from day one, I said, no, no, there's no such thing. Asymptomatic spread can't, can't happen. Early symptomatic, I would absolutely agree with. And I've heard it and seen it so many times anecdotally. Yeah, I didn't even have any symptoms. Well, I had, I mean, all I had was a little headache. And they think that's not a symptom. I'm like, well, that's a symptom. Tell me more. Did you have just a headache? Well, I mean, I had a little bit of like, just, just like my nose felt a little full. Oh, so you were producing mucus. Okay, so then you do have the potential now to spread that because you're symptomatic. And that's the thing. If you told people that and educated people that more than just said, oh my gosh, all of you potentially healthy people are sick. Now you'd actually have people with that first symptom saying, hey, I should be careful and cautious. Not like, ah, it's just a little symptom. I mean, I'm okay. You know, I'll just keep doing whatever everyone else says in social distance. And so you, you end up with people feeling a little bit more, you know, safe because they're social distance and they're wearing a mask when reality says maybe that should be the person who's staying home and not going anywhere. And so I've just been really against this whole idea of asymptomatic spread. And now the CDC today comes out with new guidelines. And those new guidelines say, don't get tested. Just because you're, you're, you're around somebody, don't get tested. Basically, what their guidance today was, you know, if you have symptoms, you can go get tested. Like, okay, that's what I, I thought would come out. Now, they got blasted by a ton of people, and of course they would, because right now we know mainstream media is really looking to keep this thing rolling. And why are they? It's just the most incredible opportunity they've ever had to be the most important thing in our lives. And that's why. It's relevance. Are they, are they conspiracy theorists? No, they're not. Maybe they are, but I'm not, I'm not going to go down that path. I don't think they are. I think, I think the thing is that people should understand the difference between conspiracy theorist and opportunist is a hair's width apart. I think 
you, it's just as bad if, if it wasn't done on purpose. It's just as bad to see it and run with a narrative that doesn't have significant proof just to keep it going. And that's just, it's ridiculous. So there's my two cents. Hey, thanks for joining us for episode one. Guys, we'll be back with episode two. Before you know it, be well, be strong, and be at peace.